seventh part of our study on the law. And you know, might, you might say, what in the world are we studying the law for? I pray that I pray that you have understood why, as we've done these studies, uh, there are so many uh, misconceptions about the law of God. And we know that Christ fulfilled it. We understand that we're not under the law. We're going to say that several times. Next week, y'all, I want to talk about, it won't really be part of this series, but next week I believe the Lord would have me to talk about uh, everything is better in Christ. And you remember when, when our church first started, we did a series on Wednesday nights, those that were here on the book of Hebrews. As the first Wednesday night study, we went through all, all the chapters of Hebrews, and that's pretty much the theme of that book. It's comparing what the Jewish, the Jewish system had under the law with their priests, their priesthood, everything about it, the sacrifices, and how Christ fulfilled it all, and it's all better in Christ. So we're going to talk about that next week, and it is better in Christ. But I want us to start today, and we're going to talk about the believer's attitude towards the law. In other words, in our day and age, not under the law, but as Christians, New Testament believers who've trusted in Christ and been washed in His blood, what should our attitude be towards the law or our take on the law, so to speak? And I think it should be exactly what God's Word says it should be on it. Amen? So I want you to read with me in Psalm 19, verses 7 and 8. Of course, David wrote this. And he says this, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. We're just going to stop there in that psalm for now. But David was a believer. Now, he wasn't a New Testament believer, but David was a believer. David was justified by faith in God. And he lived during the time when the law was in place. He lived in the time when uh, it had, the law had been given to and through Moses to the, to, through the, to the Hebrew people on Mount Sinai. And he lived in that age when it was still in force and before Jesus fulfilled it at His first coming. So he lived under the law, you could say. And, and yet he loved it. He loved the law. He appreciated the law. He appreciated the goodness of the law, the holiness of the law, the wisdom of God that came through the law. David says, Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Well, it's all, in our day and age, you hear a lot different uh, things spoken about the law. David, the man that knew God and loved God and walked with God, had been justified by faith in the Lord. He loved it. Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation, all he says, day and night. And it says in Proverbs chapter uh, 28, I just want to read this. You don't have to turn there. Four and five. They that forsake the law, Solomon says, praise the wicked. But such as keep the law, contend with them. Evil, man, evil men understand not judgment, but they that seek the Lord understand all things. And so there's something about it. When we seek the Lord, we understand. When we seek the Lord, we understand His purpose in the law. When we seek the Lord and we go to His Word, you know, it's really not that complicated to walk with God. There are deep things, very deep things in the Lord, but we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, His saving Gospel, His finished work on the cross in order to be saved, to receive the gift of eternal life. We turn from our sin and we turn towards God. 
And we say almost like in a marriage. It's, it, in fact, the Bible relates it to a marriage. You know, till death to us part, but we don't even part after death. Forsaken all others, I choose Christ. And we turn to the Lord and He takes us. The good, the bad, and the ugly. He takes us, He cleanses us, and makes us new and places us in the body of Christ, washes us clean from all of our sin, puts His Holy Spirit inside of us, and He says, come and walk with Me now. I don't walk with God in order to be saved. I can now walk with God because I am saved. Because He has made me new in Christ. I don't do works nor the works of the law in order to earn my salvation, in order to make a a path to heaven. There used to be an old secular song, she's buying her stairway to heaven. Well, there's no way to buy our our path to heaven. And the law couldn't provide it either. The law pointed men and women to Christ. And still does. And David, who lived under the law, he understood the benefit in keeping the law. And the benefit was not in order to be saved. The benefit was there was the blessedness of that life of walking with God and walking in the things of God. And I believe the law uh, actually made him long for the Lord more. You see, there's a lawgiver. The first lesson we did, or the second lesson in this series, was there's a lawgiver. That's the Lord. The Lord is, is our lawgiver and it says He will save us. The lawgiver who gave the law. He didn't say His law will save us. The lawgiver who gave the law, He will save us. He's merciful. He's kind. And I thank the Lord for it. But what should our attitude be towards the law? David understood that righteousness comes to men by, by faith in God alone. David understood this. And I just want to read this Scripture. For, for our transgressions, I'm sorry, uh, for thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Now David wrote this. So he lived under the law and he made the sacrifices that God required. He loved the law. He loved the tabernacle worship. He loved everything about it. But he knew that his righteousness didn't come from that. He knew how he had failed. He knew how he had sinned against God uh, in his own life many times, not just the notable ones that are mentioned in Scripture. And he knew this, for thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offerings. So he knew God's heart, right? The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, are broken in a contrite heart, O God, thou will not despise. You know, that's in any era. That's in any era. That's what God desires. He desires men from their hearts to come to know Him, to humble themselves before the Lord, to grieve because of our sin, to cry out to Him for mercy. He's so quick to give it. But that is what um, the Lord delights in. It says right here, He had broken a contrite heart, O God, thou will not despise. That's the real sacrifice that the Lord requires. So here's a man that lived under the law and during the dispensation of the law, but he knew what God required. He knew what he, David, needed. He needed the heart surgery. He didn't just need to offer another goat or, or a bull to be sacrificed, although he he did those things, but he knew what he, what he needed was a work of God in his heart. And that's what he desired. He knows that that's what the Lord desired as well. I'll read another passage. This is David. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputes not iniquity and in whose spirit 
there is no guile. There's, that's a blessed life. David understood it. It did not come through the requirements of the law. But at the same time, he didn't despise the law. This is what, if, if there's something that comes out of this, this whole series, this would be one of the things I believe God would have us to lay hold on. Is that we're not under the law. And the law doesn't justify or save anybody. It doesn't have that power. And yet there's a blessedness to the law. There's a goodness to the law because a good lawgiver gave a good law to men. And that law was to point men to Christ. Romans 4, verse 5, But to him that works not, but believes, there's the faith aspect, but believes on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Now I know we talked about this a few weeks ago. How were Old Testament people saved? Jesus hadn't come yet. How, would, how did Noah get saved? I mean, Christ, He was thousands of years before Jesus ever came. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by Me. That is an eternal fact. He's Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so, men have always been justified and saved by faith. Even before Jesus came, they trusted in Him. They trusted Him because the prophets foretold, God foretold through the prophets and the law, that a coming Savior would come. God's own Son would come. His name will be called Emmanuel. Right? Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. That's about 800 years before Jesus came. His name should be called the Wonderful uh, wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He's going to be the Savior of the world. So men lived and died before He came and they trusted in Him and they could be saved by faith in God, not by work, the works of the law. And so, uh, believers are not under the law. The Bible says, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who what? Believes. Christ is the end of the law. So don't let somebody try to teach you that we're under the law still. We're not. At the same time, don't let somebody try to teach you that everything that's prior to John the Baptist, basically, we have nothing to do with. That's a perversion. That's an error as well. Or that we're to despise the law or ridicule the law. God doesn't despise it. Jesus didn't despise it. He fulfilled it. He said, think not that I've come to destroy the law. I've not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. He says all will be fulfilled. It was fulfilled in Him. Nobody could keep the law perfectly, right? People would try for a little while and here's the Ten Commandments and then they would try and then they would find themselves some point breaking the commandment in word, thought, or deed, right? In some way, breaking the commandment. Now what do I do? Well, God had uh, allowed for animal sacrifices to make a, a covering or atonement for sins, but it still didn't save the soul. The animal sacrifices could not save the soul and make clean inwardly the one who offered those things. But, but they could, it could turn them and point them to Jesus. They could call upon the Lord. Doesn't the Bible say, and Abraham believed in the Lord. Abraham, 430 years before the law was even given. Abraham believed in the Lord and God counted it to him for righteousness. The righteousness, it's not of the law nor of the works of the law. It's a righteousness that comes by faith. Amen? 
And so I want you to turn with me. This is going to be the probably the longest passage that we read this morning. Turn to Galatians chapter 3. I said, I know we would spend a lot of time in the study of the law in Galatians and in Romans that we have. But look at Galatians chapter 3, because what had happened here, and I know you know it well, the Galatian church, they were saved. They believed the gospel at Paul's preaching. And they gave their life to Christ. And then the false teachers came in afterwards. Paul had to leave. God sent him somewhere else. And here come the false teachers. And their particular false teaching was a mixture of the Old Testament law and faith. The Old Testament law and grace. And uh, there's no such mixture. There's not a mixture for salvation or righteousness of the grace of God in anything. His grace, the grace of God, which we receive by faith and nothing and nothing else. And so anything added to the gospel is a perversion and it's false. And, and you start tampering with the gospel, it's serious. There's a different Jesus Paul talks about that are preached. There's different spirit other than the Holy Spirit. And there's a different gospel and they can't help anybody. And so he had to go and fix the error, basically, in the church in Galatia. Let's read this. He's making clear what was the purpose of the law, basically. Pick up with me in Galatians 3, verses 13 and 14. Christ has redeemed us. That's New Testament believers. That's you and me if you're saved. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. That the blessing of Abraham, that's that blessedness, blessedness that comes by faith, the righteousness of God that comes by faith, that the blessing of Abraham might come to the, to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And so it does not say in verse 13, it says Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Don't think that the law itself was a curse. There was a curse in the law. In other words, the law had a punitive aspect to it. The law had a punishment for breaking it. The whole law wasn't a curse, okay? There was a curse in the law. In other words, if, you're, if the speed limit is 55 and you're going 95 or 105, there's going to be a penalty for that, okay? Uh, the, the law itself wasn't a curse, but there was a curse in the law because I broke it and I found out what that curse was. They're taking my license away if I'm doing 105, okay? Uh, so that's, that's the idea here that there's a curse in the law. And it says in the Bible that the word spoken by angels, that's the law, was steadfast in every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward. Okay? So there's a curse in the law, but the law itself was not a curse. Let's keep reading. Skip down to verse 16. Now to Abraham and to his seed were the promises made. He saith not and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed which is Christ. So we know that Jesus Christ, way down the line, many years, you can trace the genealogy, comes uh, through the line of Abraham. Eventually, Jesus comes to the line of Abraham, David, you know, and then Jesus. That was the promise that was made. When God says, uh, I will, God was going to provide himself a lamb. And it was Jesus Christ that came. And this I say, 
that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years after, that's after it was, that promise was made to Abraham, cannot disannul that it should make the promise of none effect. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more of, of promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. Verse 19, Wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgressions till. That means it had a time frame. The law was added 430 years after Abraham came and God made that promise to him about the seed that would come that would be the Redeemer of the world. The law was added because of transgression or man's sins till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. We'll just stop right there. And so there was a time frame for the law. About roughly 1,500 years before Jesus came, it was given to Moses on Mount Sinai. It included the Ten Commandments and a civil law and everything else. And it was given to Moses and fulfilled by Christ. Okay, perfectly fulfilled by Christ some 1,500 or so years later. Skip down to verse 21 and then we'll, we'll finish this passage. Is the law then against the promises of God? Well, it's important that that question is answered. We're believers. What should our attitude be towards the law? Is the law, which Christ fulfilled, which is over now, is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid, he says. For if there had been a law which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But the Scripture had concluded all under sin that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which, was, which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith is come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. This would be a gross error. And the church of Galatia need to hear that. And maybe people in our lives need to hear it. That you, you, once that faith has come, once that Christ has come, and the fulfillment of all the law and the prophets has come, and we have Jesus, and He died on the cross for our sins and rose again in power, and we can now preach this Gospel and believe this Gospel, there's no need to still have a tutor Say, get ready. Jesus is coming. Get ready. You need to go to the... Uh, one day Jesus is going to come and you can give your life to Him. He's already come. That was the purpose of the law before Christ came. And when it says, shut up unto faith, it, it means that we're actually guarded. Like the, In other words, the law served a purpose to help guard men to keep them focused on the promise of the coming Messiah. To keep them with their hearts and minds fixed on... As, there's a Messiah coming. There's a Savior coming. The law helped to do that. Boy, do we need Him. Because here's the law. It's a good law, but I can't keep it. I'm not good. The law is perfect, but I'm not perfect. Boy, I need that Savior that's promised. And the law would help be a schoolmaster to keep people <coughs> focused on the coming Savior. Even if they died before He came. As I said, they could put their trust in Him before He came. Amen? And so, a couple more scriptures. Verse 26. For ye are all the children of God, how? By faith in Jesus Christ. We'll just stop right there for a minute. But we see God's purpose in the law. I don't want to rehash too much of that. But when we see the purpose of, of the law, 
in God's eyes, why He gave it, we don't despise it. We don't hate it. We don't try to repel at the thought of the law. We're thankful that we're not under the law. We're also thankful that, uh, that it serves its purpose. Remember, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. And the Bible says that, uh, therefore, by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight. So nobody can be justified by the law. Zero. How many people? Zero. But for by the law is the knowledge of sin. The law gave us an understanding of, hey, this really is sinful. Just like a speed limit sign tells me, going 55 is not breaking the law. Going over it is breaking the law. So the speed limit sign tells me where the, what the standard is, right? It lets me know. And so that's the purpose of the law. And, the, and it serves its purpose. The law is not wicked, though, or evil. It's not a curse. God gave the law to point men to Christ, to be a schoolmaster, to bring us to Christ, to show the holiness of God, our own sinfulness and need for a Savior. So don't be afraid of the law, amen, or run from it. We're not under it. And so when, if, when we say we're not under the law, it does not mean that the moral aspect of the law is all of a sudden vanished and washed away. Remember we talked about this? In the law that was given on Sinai, there was a civil law, you know, uh, the law of the manna, there's the law of dietary laws, you know, eat these food, foods, don't eat these foods. We're not under that. That's not, that's not part of our life in Christ at all. We're not, we're not under the sacrificial laws of if you commit this sin, bring this sacrifice to the priest. We don't have the holy days. We don't have the laws of the first fruits that were given when they reap their crops uh, every year and things like that. All of that is done away. But God's moral standard, which is included in the Ten Commandments, that was before the Ten Commandments were given. That was during the Ten Commandments, the era of the law, and that is since the law was fulfilled by Christ. They didn't suddenly become irrelevant. I guess that would be the point. The moral law of God, and there's a perversion in our day in churches with the hyper-grace type of theology that anything to do with obedience, anything to do with a moral standard, anything to do with pursuing after God to obey God, to be holy, to please God, to honor God, to follow the hundreds and hundreds of New Testament commandments for New Testament believers. If you mention that, talk about it, bring it up, counsel that, preach it, teach it, think it, that you're under the law. Well, that's foolishness. Amen. That's foolishness. That's an error. And it scares people away from anything, like I said, prior to John the Baptist or Jesus, you know. And it scares them away from most of the New Testament commandments that are given for us as believers. And so I want to read a scripture. I'm just, I'm just going to read it for time's sake, y'all. But I'm getting this. We read it a few weeks ago. Ezekiel 36. So here's a promise in the Old Testament about what was, it's going to be like in the New Covenant. Jesus said, this is the New Testament in my, what, in my blood. So there was an Old Covenant written in stone given to Moses on Mount Sinai, it, it, that covenant spoke of a coming covenant that was going to be better. And Christ ushered in that new covenant in His blood. But here's a promise of the new covenant in the Old Testament. The Lord says, A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. 
And I will take away the stony heart of your flesh. And I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. And listen to this. And cause you to walk in my statutes. So they didn't, the statutes didn't all of a sudden become irrelevant. Now I'm talking about the moral things of God. He says, I'm going to put a new heart in you and I'm actually going to cause you and enable you to walk in obedience. And ye shall keep my judgments and do them. This is part of the new covenant. This is part of what, what's ushered in through being born again and, and dwelt by the Holy Spirit and being part of the body of Christ. And so the moral law didn't just go away. The moral law of God speaks as to who Jesus is. What is He? We heard a Sunday school lesson this morning on the holiness of God. He's holy. And He says unto men, Old Testament and New Testament, as He which is called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. You say, well, I can't do that. No, you can't. But Christ in you can do that. Now that we're born again, if we'll die to ourselves and like we're talking about on Wednesday nights and let the Lord live in and through us, He has no problem in being holy. The Holy Spirit in us is holy. He has no problem not lying. He has no problem in not hating His, you know, hating his brother. The Holy Spirit of Christ in us has no problem in loving His enemies. And loving His neighbor as Himself. We say, well, I can't do that. No, but that redeemed man, that new life in us, can. And the Lord says, I'm going to put a new... I will do this. Just let me do it. When you come to Christ, I will put a new heart in you. And I will cause you to walk in my judgments. And what judgments? Well, I think it has to do with all the moral law of God. I think it has to do with, these, um, with, with God Himself. In other words, what is the Lord doing in us? What is the Lord doing in Sherry's life, in Gary's life, in Damien's life? We all look different. We might have got saved at different ages. But the Lord is doing the same thing if we're born again in every one of us. He's working in us that work to make us like Jesus. Well, what, what was Jesus like? Well, He was happy. He was joyful. He was holy. He was set apart to His Father. He only did the things He saw His Father doing. He only said the things He heard His Father saying. He wasn't all over the place. He wasn't just, well, whatever I feel like doing today. He was very subject to the will of His Father. And so what is Christ doing in the life of a believer? We don't try to please God in order gosh, I hope I'm good enough to get to heaven. God, I see the Ten Commandments and I've kept seven of them pretty well. Is that going to be enough to get me to heaven? No, it's not. The only righteousness that will get us to heaven is the righteousness of Christ. And you don't earn that. You believe in Jesus who died. And He imputes that or interweaves it, the Bible says, into our hearts and our beings. I will pronounce you just. I will pronounce you as being righteous. Quit trying to work for it. And I will make you that. Trust in me. My law shows that you can't keep it. And you haven't kept it. And you know you haven't kept it. So quit pretending. Come to me and give your life to me. Okay, I've done that. I've trusted in Jesus. Thank you for saving me by your grace. Now what? Now get up and let's walk this life out. If we live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit, the Bible says. A walk has to do with a lifestyle. Day by day. Alright, I used to curse before I was saved. God says, I want to work on that mouth of yours. Because it comes out of the heart. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. 
So it's not just biting your lip, although if you have to do it, do it. Bite your lip before you curse. But I would much rather if you'll let me work in your heart and take away that desire from cursing to where there's not that anger in your heart that wants to curse. Can God do that? Yes. Has He done it in many of our lives? Yes, He has. Maybe He's still working on that in some of our lives. He can do it. He wants to do it. I can promise you that that's the only way it will get done is if the Lord does it. We need to be saved first and then let God work on us. Amen? He can do it. He has no problem in doing it. We just keep yielding, yielding, yielding. And so, Dave, uh, the Lord says in a Messianic Psalm, I delight to do Thy will, O my God, yea, Thy law is within my heart. I delight, I want to do the will of God. Now that I'm saved, I want to do as well. I still don't do it perfectly. And when I don't, there's mercy and forgiveness and God will forgive me. But, He is working in me. The moral law of God didn't just poof. Jesus came on the cross. Now, the moral law is gone. We're saved by grace through faith, which we are. Therefore, this is not correct, but there's a thought that we're, therefore, we can do whatever we want. That is not at all what God's Word says. And I'm going to be not too much longer, but I want to read this first from uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 31. At the end of that chapter, do we then make void the law through faith? So here's the law, and then here comes Christ to fulfill the law. So we're not under the law anymore as New Testament believers, but he asked the question in Romans 3.31, do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid, yea, we establish the law. Do you all see that? We're not establishing the dietary laws and all those things. We're establishing that moral, holy nature of God that's written in our hearts. That's actually going to be lived out through our lives. When we're walking the way we're supposed to. Okay? Keep that in mind. And so, when it says that we make void the law, I want to give you the definition of that word void. Now that faith has come, now that we've put our faith in Jesus, now that Christ fulfilled the law, and by so doing it, He satisfied it and put it away, do we make void now the law through faith? The word void means to render entirely idle or useless, to abolish, to cease, to destroy, to do away with, to put away, to put down, to bring to naught, to make of none effect. Is that what we do by faith? I put my faith in Jesus, so do I totally destroy the law and render it entirely useless or idle? Well, the answer is right here in the same verse. God forbid, yea, we establish the law. We're establishing what Ezekiel spoke about. And I will, in that new covenant, I will give you a new heart. And I will write those laws in your hearts and minds and cause you to do them. And you will desire to do them because that new heart wants to please God. The old heart did not. The old heart didn't want to go to hell, but the old heart sure didn't want to please God either. The old heart wanted to please self. It's self, okay? But when we're saved, we desire to please God. The Lord helps us that because the new heart in us desires that. A couple of more scriptures. Turn with me to Romans chapter 7. We're going to read this together. Romans 7, verse 12. 
12 through 14. Wherefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy and just and good. Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. But sin, that it might appear sin working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. We've talked about that scripture. There is a goodness to the law, and the goodness of the law is saying there's consequences for sin. A good law would do that. A good judge would do that. A good law enforcement officer would do that. If somebody was breaking into your house or kidnapping your child and a law officer came and said, you know, that's, that's against the law, but I'm going to let you slide. And they go in and kidnap your child. You would think, that guy's wicked. He's supposed to uphold the law. Well, the law is good and just and holy and the commandments are good and just and holy and spiritual. So if the wages of sin is death which it was then and it still is now, a good law is going to bring a punishment for that. And the law did that. It's not a badness of the law. Paul says, no, what was bad was my own sinful nature. That's what was bad. The law was good. Even when he was condemned under the law, he still knew the law was good. I'm the sinful one. The law's doing just what it's supposed to. But the law's not our Savior. The lawgiver is our Savior. Again, and we cry out to Him and we're saved. Now, I want to, I want to move on. Look, uh, I'll just read this from Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. Therefore, all things whatsoever you would that men should do unto you, do you so, even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. So Jesus is kind of summing up the law in a couple of Scriptures here. There's another one in Matthew 22. You've heard this where somebody asks Him, Lord, what's the first and greatest commandment? He says, first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Okay? On these two hang all the law and the prophets. And so He's summing it up. He's not doing away with all the law and the prophets. He's saying this is they're contained. Basically, they're summed up in loving the Lord with all of our heart, soul, and mind. In loving our neighbor as ourselves. How do we love and treat God? And how do we love and treat others? He's saying all that about, you know, honoring your mother and father, right? Don't covet. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Don't commit idolatry. And so forth. Don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain, which are part of the Ten Commandments. All that is summed up. Basically, love God with all your heart, all of it, your soul and your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. How we treat God and how we treat others. That is how it's, it's all summed up. And so honestly, y'all, our focus is not on the law as believers now. This is very important because our subject today is what should the believer's attitude be towards the law? And, and it's very simply this. I'm going to read from Samuel Chadwick what he says. He talks about, he's talking about uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul. And Paul said that he had this great freedom and this liberty, right? All things are lawful for me, he says in 1 Corinthians. And, and he goes on to say, uh, Chadwick says, the Apostle's freedom was not lawless, though. All of his freedom was subject to law. He was under the law of Christ. Christ was supreme. 
All of his freedom was subject to the law of Christ. Think about this. A freed slave. I'm talking about freed in the sense of they're born again. Okay? A freed slave is, is still a slave. They're now a slave to Christ. Though. We're a bond slave, the Bible says, to Jesus Christ. So a freed slave is not without authority over his life. He's, his authority now is not an earthly master. His authority now is Christ. We're a bond subject, servants subject to the law of Christ. And where Christ reigns, then we don't focus on the law all the time. Think about it. Our focus is upon Jesus. Our focus is upon the Lord. You don't get up every day saying, okay, what are those Ten Commandments again? Oh yeah, oh, man, I forgot the eighth one. You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah, yeah, I was just about to break that one. Thank the Lord, you know, I had His Ten Commandments. We don't live like that. We get up and like David, he says, I set the Lord always before me. I'm in His presence. In His presence is fullness of joy. At His right hand are pleasures forevermore. Because the Lord is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. He, we get up and we focus on Jesus. Hebrews 12, looking at, we run the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. If I get up and I keep my eyes on the Lord, I'm not going to be lying. I'm not going to be hating my brother without cause. I'm not going to be committing adultery. I'm not going to be bearing false witness. I'm certainly not going to be committing idolatry. I'm keeping my focus on the Lord. It's not that we're lawless. It's that our focus is on Christ. And the Holy Ghost in us is holy. Just yield to the Holy Spirit. We'll keep the commandments. Amen? We'll love God the way we're supposed to and treat Him the way we're supposed to. We'll love our fellow man the way we're supposed to and treat Him. But we're not lawless. And a lot of this teaching in this day in which we live in churches is just casting off all restraints. But we're under the law of Christ. The Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Spirit, uh, it, that's what the Bible calls it. And, and the perfect law of liberty, the Bible says. Paul said that um, he loved the law of the Lord. Amen? That he, Paul, the Apostle Paul, for I delight in the law of God after the inward man. He loved the law of the Lord. We don't speak evil of the law. James says don't speak evil of your brother. If you're speaking evil of your brother, you're actually speaking evil of the law. So the idea is that don't do it. That's not a good thing. Don't speak evil of the law. There's a lot of believers and pastors and Christian authors and books that speak evil of the law. All I'm saying is we don't do that. We need to be careful. We need to be careful. We're not under the law. Don't put yourself under the law. Don't allow a false teacher or teaching to put you under the law. You're saved by grace through faith. But also at the same time, don't repel and be repulsed by every thought of the law or anything that's in the Old Testament. We're not subject to it. And there's this thought, and I'm bringing this to a close right here, y'all. But there's, there's this idea in a lot of Christian circles, and I've heard it, and many of you have probably heard it as well, as though that God was somehow different in the Old Testament. Have you heard that before? He was almost like a different God. That's where, you know, uh, he would destroyed all the Amalekites and all the Egyptians drowned in the, in the Red Sea and things like that. As though God was unmerciful, as though He had no grace, that He was harsh, that God somehow was vindictive, that He was unapproachable, that He was unloving, unforgiving. But somehow in Christ, all that was different. Like Jesus twisted God the Father's arms and said, I'm going to go be nice to him because my father's been really mean to people. 
People wouldn't use those exact words, but that is actually a thought that, that people have. As, as I said, the 80% of our Bible, roughly, 80% when you pick up your Bible is Old Testament. Y'all know that. About three-fourths or more is Old Testament. And there's this idea now that it's all irrelevant. Scary. We're going to stay away from that Old Testament stuff. That's Noah and the flood and all these judgments of God. That's fire and brimstone raining down on Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, that's also David saying, uh, you know, uh, oh, remember, O Lord, thy tender mercies and thy loving kindness, for they have been ever of old. Thy loving kindness is better than life. That's Old Testament too. For thou art good and ready to forgive and plenteous unto, in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. That's Old Testament too. God's going to send forth His Son, born of a virgin, to redeem mankind. That's Old Testament too. Your sins and iniquities, David, I put them away. I don't remember them anymore. That's Old Testament too. So it's wrong to think that somehow God was different. I know I say it all the time, but in Malachi, I am the Lord, I change not. Jesus Christ the same yesterday and today and forever. He's not a different God in the Old Testament. Jesus was the same in the Old Testament. He came and was the perfect expression of God's grace and truth and love and redemption comes through Him in His blood only. But it's always been that way. Jesus rebuked the, uh, the Pharisees in His day. He says, search the Scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. The Jews holding to the Scriptures and the laws and the traditions and, and the Ten Commandments and so forth. Search the Scriptures. Go back and look. For in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. All of them testify of Christ. I've heard people say, well, we only cherry pick out of the Old Testament the things that speak of Christ. Well, it all speaks of Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was nothing made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. I mean, He starts the whole thing. He's, the whole Bible speaks of Jesus. It foretells Him coming and we look back historically and He came. Amen? Don't be afraid of the, of the, uh, the Old Testament or things like this. The, I'm going to just close with this thought. Again, that our focus is not... Our, my, our attitude as believers ought to be one that we're not under the law. That I'm thankful for the law. I'm thankful for the goodness of the law. The purpose that God gave in giving the law to appoint men to Christ. In, in the resurrection morning, okay? Resurrection morning. Jesus is walking. Two of the disciples are walking. It doesn't tell us who, who they are. Uh, and we know one of them, I believe, was, was Peter. But, and Jesus is walking along with them and says, why are you guys so sad? They didn't recognize him. He rose from the, risen from the dead. Well, you, you, you knew around here, you don't know what's going on. Jesus, a man mighty and works indeed. We thought He was going to be the Messiah and He was crucified. And this is the third day and some people saw the, said they saw Him risen from the dead, but we haven't seen Him. We had hoped He was going to be the Savior of Israel. So now their, their hope is dashed. And Jesus rebukes them sharply. Oh, fools. He calls them fools. Oh, fools and slow in heart to believe what? All that the prophets have spoken. And beginning at Moses and the prophets, Moses represents the law. Beginning at Moses and the prophets, he began to speak to them 
all the things concerning himself. It all spoke of Jesus. Don't be afraid of the Old Testament. We're not living in the Old Testament days. We're certainly not living under the law, the Levitical law. It's all been fulfilled. We're in Christ. But don't be afraid of the Old Testament. So I'm closing with these two verses. Dee, you can come up here if you would. David says this. Remember I talked about David lived under the law, but yet he knew he was saved by faith, not by the works of the law. And David also knew the goodness of the law. He says, The righteousness of thy testimonies is everlasting. Give me understanding and I shall live. Listen, thy word is true from the beginning. So think about your Bible, for example. Thy word is true from the beginning. And every one of thy righteous judgments endures forever. It's still the moral law. The righteous judgments of God are still enduring. But our focus is on Jesus. Our focus is upon the Lord. And I just want us to to be thankful to the Lord and trust the Lord. You can stand this morning. I don't want to be like those two disciples where the Lord has to rebuke me and says, oh, fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. He prophesied that a Savior would come and He came. And in this new covenant, He says He's written His law in our hearts and minds. A new heart I will give you. And I will cause you to walk in My judgments and statutes. And Father, we just come before You.